In this week's guest podcast of the week, James E. interviews author Frank McGroarty about the third of his trilogy of books set in Butlin's Air. Blazing on a Sunday afternoon, I got no time to worry. Hello. <laughs> Good day to you, sir. <laughs> How sings? How sings? Yeah, fine. Um, how have you managed with your uh, audiobook doing? Well, t- to be honest, I haven't really made much progress in terms of the audiobook. I've been going through a bit of a reinvent a reinvention of myself, a reinvention of myself because I'm mm. trying to become Mister Efficient. Uh, I've just gone through um, an online course, right? Um, where it was to do with the, the on, trying to develop online businesses, and I know. Uh-huh. And, it, because of that, I discovered I had to do a lot of work on my website. Plus, there's been things happening to me the past month and a bit where I've had to sort of reevaluate how I do things in terms of the way I've put stuff together in terms of work. Because mm-hmm. um, what I did in the past, you know, I can't go down that road anymore. I've got to try and do it from a different different angle. When we've got new software, yeah. um, you know, how I do my recordings, how I do my writing, everything's got to change. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's interesting. So... Do you think it will be better and more efficient? With that's the plan. That's that's the plan. Yeah. <laughs> that's the plan. Because I mean, most see a large percentage of my stuff's done in my front room. Yeah. You know. Um. Plus the thing with the writing. I mean, when I did the the last book, the last book took me a long a lot longer than normal, and it was because of different circumstances. You yeah. know. Um. And I think we kind of briefly touched on some of them. Um. When we talked before, and um, it was a. Uh, I, I couldn't, I couldn't for the life of me figure out why why it was taking so long. But now I know mm-hmm. why it's taking me so long. It's just a case of now I've just got to start looking at things from a different angle. Yeah, you know, the way I do things, and and it kind of explained a lot of things in terms of my writing style. Mm-hmm. Because with my writing style, I never try to complicate things. You mm-hmm. know, because rather than go too heavy on the description, you know, try and sort of make it as easy a read as possible. Don't get people bogged down with too much background images and all that kind of stuff because yeah. that was never that was never me but now mm. it's a case of i think that's my style now you know it's just right. a case of you know if you try and sort of go too heavy or too complicated you'll put a lot of people off you know yeah yeah it, it's funny though because i think that you know you have to kind of like reinvent yourself not on a, a regular basis but you know on a kind of semi-regular basis it Aye. helps, you know, if you if you can kind of look at yourself in different ways, you know. Well, I mean, I have, I have, I, I do, I do that kind of thing all the time. I mean, when um, Mike and I first started the lunchtime experience, many, many in the dark and distant past, you know, but, but both him and I are totally different broadcasters for, for what we are now, and it's a case yeah. of every sort. You don't try and analyze yourself too much, you know. When I did stand up comedy, that's the worst. That's the worst thing you do. You know, uh-huh. it's just a case of listen to it and say, right, let's see if we can try this or try that. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, yeah. I must admit, I've kind of done that a few times over the years as well. Yeah. Um, because I started out um, essentially as an actor. Yeah. Um, and then from, well, I also sang in that at the same time, but predominantly showbiz started for me as an actor. Yeah. Um, and then I kind of developed it into... A sort of producing and directing, mm. and and then along the way, um, I get into radio, and you know, then I 
get into a band properly. So, you know, quite a few different kind of incarnations, if you like. <laughs> well, I would say things when, you, when you're creative and you like producing things, you always want to see how far, try and push the boundaries, give yourself new challenges yeah. all the time. And I think the challenges thing is the main, is, is the main sort of criteria that sort of links a lot of us, you know, whether it's a mm. performer or whether you want to put things together, when you're doing things like books, audio books, yeah. I mean, I, I, there was a time when I never even contemplated audiobooks, you yeah. know, uh, and it was a case that somebody then said to me, why not do an audiobook? And I thought, well, why not? You know, I've got the gear. Why not? Let's do it. And yeah. um, you let every time, every audiobook that I've done, you learn from your mistakes. And it's a case of being able to progress. I mean, I, I've never sort of said, you know, I've tried it and failed. It's just mm. here, you try things. If it doesn't work, right, you just say, right, can you make it better? No, let's try and do something else. Yeah, I, I knew a guy many years ago who used to do that, you know, for uh, blind people, you know, yeah. so like he would read the newspapers and, you know, books and stuff like that. And yeah. they they probably still have, but they, they had a kind of like a central library, as it yeah. were, you know, that yeah, they yeah. could go and, you know, they could take it and then return it and stuff like that, you know. Yeah, I talk, talking uh, talking newspapers, I remember that, that was, we're talking about sort of, I remember them going back to say the late seventies when they sort of first yeah. started that. It was like the cassette tapes and things. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I, that was a, that was like the forerunner for for the stuff that we've got now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think when we're talking about trying to reinvent yourself, you know, being able to adapt. Since I recorded the last audiobook, I have now got a new set, of, a new plate. My, my top, my top lap. <laughs> <laughs> I've got I've got false teeth in there. So even then, it's a case of you got you, you try not to sort of project your voice too much in yeah. case the dentures come flying out at the microphone, you know? <laughs> so this is okay. You, it's, 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 these, these are the kind of challenges you have to face when you're over 21, yeah. you know? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, it's funny you just say that because I've just recently got a similar thing. Um, yeah. I I had been in a quite a, a bad motorbike accident um, right. in the mid-80s um, and they, they were going to take away the two stumps of the front two teeth right. Um when they were operating to wire up my jaw and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. thankfully the surgeon decided to take another x-ray and they yeah. discovered there was a tiny hairline fracture. And Ooh. if they pulled that, they'd have pulled all that part of the jaw away as well. Um, so they, they left it and then I went to the dental hospital and they capped them. And yeah. that lasted for donkey's years. And it was only like last year during the initial lockdown that I started yeah. to have problems with them. And then yeah. eventually, you know, they had to get taken away, you know. But so, as, we, as, as, we, as we become more wiser, we, we learn the, the art of just trying to adapt to the circumstances. Absolutely. You know, when, when you think, I mean, when you have things like, like the lockdown, um, you know, like I knew the, we knew the lockdown was coming. It's a case of saying, right, we can't change anything. We just have to get mm-hmm. on with it the best yeah. way we can. You know, mm-hmm. granted, I'm a, I was a wee bit fortunate in terms of doing, you know, what's my regular, regular job. Mm-hmm. I was able to say I was still doing that. But the thing was, I was missing out on my re- the reunions with my Butlins pals. Yeah. Uh, and so the thing is, Zoom then became a big factor. And mm-hmm. then you saw, what you then saw was a lot of people thinking out the box and a whole lot of different things. And it was such a joy to see, you yeah. know, especially especially with the TV shows. I mean, uh, one of my favourite programmes um, from last year was that thing David Tennant did with Michael Sheen. Staged. Oh, I've never uh, seen that. I would so. I, I mean, I'm not normally one for recommending, but I would certainly. I think it was one of the funniest programs on the on the box last year, uh, um, yeah. because it was like two actors stuck to the twiddling their thumbs during lockdown, <laughs> and, I, and they're communicating through Zoom. I mean, I thought that's them trying to be creative, you know. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's going back to the thing we're talking about adapting, you know. 
Yeah, yeah. I'll listen, Matt, because obviously when our physical studio had to close, um, I was off air for a while because I didn't have equipment at home. Yeah. So to get equipment in and maybe a bit of trial and error, um, some equipment we bought wasn't good enough. And yeah. some of the broadcasting apps that we were trying weren't good enough. Eventually we found the happy medium, as it were. Yeah. Um, and although I quite like doing it from home, um, I'll be glad when we actually get another physical studio on the go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's one thing I do miss. I mean, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love doing what I'm doing and I'm trying to produce the best show that I can. Yeah. I do miss being in a studio. Yeah. You know, it's been a long time. I mean, we're to- we must be talking about more than 10 years since I've actually set foot in a studio. Right. Um, because um, when I did the stuff for Ferguson Park Radio, that clo- the, that closed down. We then d- did a brief stint at Pulse FM. Um, that only lasted for a short period. Then after that, it was going to be j- just sort of try and record stuff in the in the first available place, you know. Yeah. And that was the same as you. I had to try and build up the equipment because when I started doing recording at home, all I had was my, my laptop and a USB mic. That yeah. was all I had. And, mm-hmm. and now I've got a lot more. Ca- I mean, I'm like the same as you. I've got a lot more kit and the things. You feel it, it, you're producing something a bit more professional. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Because uh, the thing is, you're not just case of doing it for the sake of doing it. You want to do it because you want to present the best kind of show possible for folk and hopefully that they enjoy it. You know, yeah. It, yeah. You, you, you go and try and take care from stuff from your end and it's mm-hmm. a case of hopefully that passes on to the other folk. Because the last thing they want to do is listen to stuff like all the background noises and the crashes and stuff yeah. like that, you know. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, like, I would never have done anything like this before the lockdown. You know, yeah. I know I know people, you know, they had FaceTime and stuff like that and used to FaceTime with their iPhones and things, but that was something that never really interested me. Yeah. Um, but because of the circumstances, I was forced to reevaluate. And now I think I'm quite good at this whole Zoom thing. You know, I mean, I've actually, I've done Zoom conversations with people in different parts of the world for, yeah. you know, my radio shows. Yeah. Um, so I'm becoming more adept at it. Um, just it's, it's, necessity. It is good when it works. I mean, I think um, <clears throat> there is a there was um, when I do my we did the buttons things with with the pals to begin with. I was like very much like your Max Headroom, you know, yeah. this of uh, that, 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 you know, <laughs> <laughs> um, and it just it, and it, but we couldn't figure out why it wasn't working. But then I was on that online course the other right. uh, this week. The guy that was doing the online course had about one hundred forty to about one hundred eighty people online at the same time. Right. And he and he was recording it and doing a sort of an online course. This guy was based in the states, uh-huh. and um, and uh, so people were tuning in everywhere, Australia, Switzerland, everywhere. Uh-huh. And um, and he, he he was oh he was using the Zoom, right? But it's um it's a it's it's a, it's a very good thing to have, very good thing yeah. to have. Yeah. Um. So, <clears throat> question for you: How yes. do you get the donkeys upstairs? <laughs> it's, a, it's a big challenge it's a big challenge um what it was that's that statement what that statement evolved from the donkey derby yeah um you think of butlins holiday camps there's certain things that automatically spring to mind um mm-hmm. uh, contest um uh, uh, and the donkey derby was another one and the thing was we always used to have um the donkey derby held in a sports field right yeah. And it was always a case of, let's say, eight, eight jockeys, and it were always kids that were on holiday that week. Mm-hmm. And you had the, the donkeys, and it was held in the sports field. And so 
I, I I've had to do it myself. Um, make the announcement, and I did it on the I did it on the the disco floor one time, and I had to do on radio buttons as well. And uh, I shall give you an example. Right, this is Radio Buttons calling with a special announcement. Due to the inclement weather, today's Donkey Derby will be held in the Stuart Ballroom. And uh, and if you ever see the Stuart Ballroom, it's a massive escalator. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and the thing was. We were on a disco, and the thing was, the Red Coats used to have so much fun with that. And they uh, used to say, oh, oh, we need four guys to help get some donkeys up these stairs. <laughs> and, uh, and it ends up people are, are coming up to me saying, somebody's just called for us. Uh -huh. But the Red Coat had done it, it basically scarpered, you know. <laughs> and, um, I, I, and the likes of um, uh, they, they used to do that all, all the time. The, um, uh, that was what I mean. That was, I said about how the titles were based on the diff different questions, and that was one that was always getting asked. Yeah. And and whenever they said Donkey Derby, because the Stuart Ballroom was basically your, your backup plan in case it was chucking it down the rain. Mm -hmm. And um, and then I don't think they ever quite understood the concept of how it was going to work in the Stuart Ballroom, you know. And they, some of them were actually deadly serious when he says, "How do you get the donkeys up the stairs?" You know. <laughs> I can actually in my mind's eye picture, you know, somebody being a wee bit stumped by that, you know, how are we going to get a donkey up here, you know? And they're deadly serious about it as well, because yeah. I, mean, be a, I remember we actually had a few volunteers come to the side of the stage, <laughs> <laughs> saying, right, we're ready to get your hand, you know? <laughs> I mean, we never get, we never got a shortage of volunteers. Uh, <laughs> I must, but I will say though, I never created that, I never, I was never a, a, the troublemaker on that point. I was usually yeah. the person who's, uh, the red coat would announce it, and then in the base, it was me who would have to sort of carry the can. <laughs> you had to try and sort it out. Basically, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like it. I like it. So, with book three, obviously, it's the the final chapter, if, yeah. if you like. Um, and am I right? Was it a little bit shorter than the other two books? The and if you're talking about the page count, mm. it's shorter. However, yeah. word count. It was more than the first one. Right. Um, the reason being was I changed the software I was using. Ah, right. Uh, because this, when I was doing it before, um, you were doing things like the chapter head and was always like so far halfway down the page mm -hmm. and, and so forth, and they were using different fonts and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But um, it was, I think it was about five, maybe between five and 10,000 words more than the first one. Right. And it was, uh, it's just a case of when it's assembled the way it was on the different software, mm -hmm. it, there was less pages. Right. And, you know, it wasn't as much as the, as the second one, but it certainly was a lot more than the first one. Yeah, because it was just when I finished reading it, I, I thought to myself, that seems a wee bit short, you know, and the amount of time it's taken me to read it. But then in saying that, I mean, I do read quite quickly. Yeah. You know, um, I can go through, especially if I'm into a book, I mean, I could go through a book in a day quite easily, you know. That I, I wish I could say the same from my point of view, because um, uh, when I was at school, if I read a book, if people, if they, you were meant to read a book, it could take them three days. I would mm -hmm. take about three weeks to yeah. read a book. Uh -huh. um, you know, and it's, and it's something that's, um, I never really understood why, but now I do know. And uh, mm -hmm. as it's going back to the thing about how it's reflected on my style of writing. And, yeah. um, but certainly I was very, the one thing I didn't want was to make the book the shortest one in terms of word count. If I'd have got mm -hmm. it below the number of the, the cabaret book, then that would have caused, that, that would have been a, a problem. It would have been a lack of content. But I was always determined to make sure it was at least more than the first one, you yeah. know. And it, also yeah. the other thing is you didn't want to push it out too much to try and match the word count for the second one because I think, looking back, I think there was maybe a wee bit too much 
in the second one. Mm. But even though a lot of people thought that was it was good in terms of character development, you know, it was just my own personal thing. And I thought, well, just try to be a bit more focused in what you're doing. Um, we've got the new software, but the, the main thing was it, if you do it too little, you're missing something. Do it too yeah. much, you're kind of pushing the boat out. And I didn't mm. want to push the boat out, you know? Yeah. And, and I mean, I assume that there are probably things that you could have put in or perhaps you had put into original drafts and then taken out or on rereading it. Um, but, would that be right? Well, I used, I did get a lot of stories sent when I, people knew I was working on the, on the last book and I was looking for you know different um, scenarios, different stories, because mm. there was a lot in, the, in that final season. I spent first half of the season in the gym. Yeah. Um, uh, and so I never got to see a lot of stuff that was going on. So the thing was, there was a lot of things I had to usually rely on other folk, but people were sending me in stories about incidents and stuff like that. And whilst there was some brilliant stuff in there, you had to th also go back to think it in terms of the story, because I didn't want it to be so a nostalgia trip, because that's what the, the first one, the book was yeah. a lot, was a nostalgia trip. I didn't want it to say, right, make it a nostalgia trip, even though I wanted it to be a celebration of what, the th of what it meant, you know, mm. being at buttons and so forth. I didn't want to sort of make it too highy high because yeah. um, we wanted to try and we had to make sure we we're not just fair to people that liked trip, the trip down memory lane, but we mm. also had to make sure we were fair to people that were following the characters as well. Yeah, uh, because we had to look, we had to look at things from two sides. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I, I was thinking specifically when you were at a, the kids thing, you know, for a month before start venture weeks. Yeah, yeah, venture weeks. Um, yeah, and in book three, you talk about a, a group of kids who are, shall we say, not engaged. Challenging. Um, <laughs> and, a, and a teacher who was there with them who probably felt he should have been somewhere else. Uh, it, it just, <laughs> I, I, the teacher just couldn't give a for instance. Um, uh -huh. um, yeah, you did get that. Um, and so there was there was a time where some the kids usually threw themselves into it, but it was just mm -hmm. on, on that one occasion, there was um, a group of kids from a school who were just, they were just rowdy. Yeah. You know, they, you know, their definition of a good time was they they just did what they want and forget uh, who, who who they stood on along the way. And mm. um, the the teacher wasn't was exactly Mister Enthusiastic when it came to controlling the crowd. And of course, when we were trying to deal with classes, we had to be careful what we did. Yeah. Because we've we had we had, if we went a wee bit too far, then of course we all they need to do is complain, and suddenly we were got a problem. You know. Exactly. I mean, I, mean, I, I had an instance one time where on my first season where. My brother met me, at the, he came down to the camp at air, and uh, this young little sweetheart, about 14 he was, started to throw sticks at me, right? <laughs> and I, I, I was trying to be Mr. Firm and Fair, and he said, and he said, ah, oh, you're a red coat, you can't do anything. Mm. My brother was standing beside me, he says, no, he can't, but I can. <laughs> <laughs> You've never seen a 14-year-old run so fast in your life. <laughs> when I was reading that bit in the book about those kids, I, you know, I was thinking to myself, that, is like a microcosm of how society has changed, you know, yeah. over the years, whereby it used to be that, well, as a child, you might not like somebody, you know, telling you to do this or do that or, you know, to behave or whatever. Um, you did it because that authority, you know, of an adult was kind you, of absolute. You respect, then, respect authority. Yeah. yeah. And then over the years, obviously, you know, that's changed and it's still changing. I mean, I sometimes see it even to this day, um, you know, when I'm out, somebody's out with their kids and the yeah. kids are misbehaving and they, the, the parent is trying 
to to get them to behave, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and sometimes, and I don't agree with it, but some instances you see them, you know, they smack the kid or whatever. Right. Yeah. And I don't agree with them doing that. You know, in fact, I've, a couple of times I've told people off for doing it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, can, I can understand that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I can absolutely understand that. But um, it was just, you know, I, it kind of was like the opposite image of how, you know, in the first two books, you'd done your venture weeks and they had been great, you know, and the kids were really into it and stuff like that. And I was just thinking to myself when I was reading it, that just shows you how things have changed, even in that sort of short period of time from when you first did it to mm. that third, uh, third day time, how much things had changed in the way that people didn't really respect folk anymore. I think I think the other thing was, was in the third book, when you look at it from the Terry character point of view was when he went in the first for the first season, he was naive, he was excited and all this kind mm, of stuff. Yeah. And the thing is, when we got to the third season, he was beca- he was he was more aware of the of things going on. It wasn't a case of, yeah, he loved the job. It was his mm. dream job. He absolutely loved it. But the thing was, he he still wanted the fun element. But the thing yeah. is, he was because he'd been in the, in the this was his third season. He became more aware that there were people there that were just there for themselves. They were there, mm. regardless of what you did and. Because of their behaviour, that was taking an element of the fun out of it. And the yeah. thing was, they, they, they wanted it so much to be fun. And the thing was, for the, this was the first time when he came across people that were basically challenging him. And he never wanted to be challenged. Yeah. Because, because the thing was, he was there to do something for them. But the fact that they're fighting back, it's, it's a difficult one to take. Um, mm. And the thing was, maybe what was going through his mind was he didn't know how to deal with that. And the fact that he was working alongside a guy who was like an army instructor... Who, yeah. was, who knew how to man, um, manage people. Um, and the thing, and, and the thing it's going back to the thing I was talking about, how you learn from yeah. things. And he started to learn from, from, from this guy. And of course, that then sort of pushed him in a possible new career direction himself yeah. because he became more aware of saying, maybe this is the way I should be going. Mm-hmm. Because, because, because he was learning so much about human behavior, it, it was, um, he knew that Bolton's thing was coming to an end. Mm-hmm. You know, it, had, it had to come to an end. And so the thing was, he, he was he was more observant. He was more, you know, half and half. He was more of um, trying to sort of um, still be fun, make a memorable final season. But he wasn't expecting all these things happening, you know. Yeah. And that that kind of dragged him down a bit. Mm-hmm. And eventually, when he started to become knowledgeable how to deal with it, he then started to cope with it again. Yeah, and it kind of continued a little bit, you know, when you had the the issue with the the Ents manager who. Yeah. You know, would would insist in, in saying, you know, Terence, yes. you know, <laughs> but right, Terry, you know, as you say in the book, and then getting stuck into the, you know, that that gym, which for someone who, you know, when you read the other two books, you get a feel for the character's enthusiasm, and for yeah. somebody to be shut away, you know, and essentially an empty room, yeah, um, you know, it's got to be a wee bit soul destroying. That, that's that's the way that's the way it felt during those first yeah. the first few weeks, because I mean, I, my my personal feelings about the job was, was still was and still is the same. Yeah. But the thing was, when I went into the gym, it was five bikes at the back, a a, a multi gym that was no weights involved. It was all hydraulics, mm-hmm. and you had a cra- I had a couple of crash mats. That was it. Yeah. You know, and the thing is, people go on holiday unless they've got their own purpose in mind. You know. It was never a busy place. Yeah, you know, uh, and and what I and what I usually liked about working there was getting amongst the punters, being with the mm-hmm. punters. Yeah, you know, really interacting with them. And the thing was, I wasn't getting that, and and mm-hmm. that was the thing. That was one thing I wanted to put through with, uh, with Terry when he was doing that third season. 
Yeah. And when you talk about the uh, the wrestlers who yes. come in, there's mm. one person in particular. Yes. Now, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but would that have been Adrian Street by any nope. chance? Nope. No. 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 Oh, right. No. It was, it, it was, it was in that mold. Uh-huh. He was in that mold. Um, he, I'm not going to mention his name because I don't know what's what's happened to him now. But yeah, he, he was he had um, long white hair. Uh-huh. Um, sort of um, a, 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 the face of a guy sort of 20 years older than what he's supposed to be, you know. And he talked with a very effeminate voice. Mm-hmm. You're right because I'm, I'm standing there and I'm getting introduced to him. And uh, he, 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 he spoke to me and I started, started trying, you know, stay focused, stay focused. <laughs> so don't say anything, you know, because uh, I didn't know how to react because in those days, uh, you, there was something you weren't used to. And yeah. um, previously, when you look at Adrian Street and all these guys, it was it was a character. But the yeah. fact that this was somebody away from the ring acting mm-hmm. like that. And yeah. um, he, was, he, was a, he was a great guy. He was an yeah. absolutely great guy. I remember him when I was on holiday at Filey. He was part of the wrestling squad at Filey, uh-huh. so I knew I knew who he was. Yeah, and um, and the guy that was um, who was like the sort of, the, sort of main man amongst the wrestlers in terms of mm. it was like the, the lead guy. He, he wasn't sort of the star man, but he was sort yeah. of the, the sort of the, the, the shop steward, as it were. And mm-hmm. he says, you know, don't, don't let the effeminate voice fool you. He's one of uh-huh. the toughest so and sos around, you know. <laughs> um, but I mean, it, it was it, I, I had a great, a great time with those rest, the wrestlers. Yeah. They were great, you know. Um, Guys like them coming into the gym really brightened up my day. Yeah, I was I was looking forward to that. Yeah, and it just kind of for me, obviously not having holiday had a holiday at Butlins, I would never have thought that you know there would have been wrestlers. Oh, you know there. You know probably a lot of things that might have happened that I might not have imagined would have happened. You know. Oh, um, so, um, it, was, it, was, it was a key part of the entertainment program. Uh, I mean, what, what you used to get was the the red coats were the seconds, and sometimes yeah. you get the red coat compare, um, who would be the maybe the the referee or the the MC, Aye. and used to set up the, the and when we're talking about air, they used to set the ring up in the, in, in the middle of the ballroom, uh-huh. and it, it was total goodies versus baddies stuff. Yeah. I, I mean, when you're talking about the old Ken Walton live from Middlesbrough Town Hall, uh-huh. I mean, it was that kind of level, you know. And you get all the women throwing things. You see, you know, with the handbags and all this kind of stuff. It was, it was brilliant. Um, I loved, I loved it when they did it at, at Filey. Filey was. I used to, look, I used to go there all the time. Yeah. Um, I never got on duty for those sessions, but my my wife, she was one of the seconds one time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it was like it, it, the atmosphere in that place was always brilliant. Anyway. Yeah, it, it was kind of like because obviously you know of a certain generation, you probably would have watched World of Sport. Oh, on yeah. Saturday, you know, and the wrestling would have been on there. Yeah. Um, and you would see, you know, what it was like. But I remember the first time I actually went to a proper, you know, live wrestling event. I, I was actually quite shocked that the, the kind of level of uh, enmity from sections of the audience. Oh, they did not hold. Listen, the only time I've seen that kind of level. You, see when you take the level from the audience the only time you get this kind of level is if you make a mistake calling the bingo yeah you know <laughs> <laughs> you know you deviate from that that's how you're toast you know <laughs> yeah I've, I've, uh, I've experienced that firsthand actually um, yeah. I, I was down visiting my, one of my sisters who lived in London at the time and uh, she said to me do you want to come to the bingo and I'm like the bingo yeah, yeah. yeah but I went along and uh, I thought I had completed the line you know, so I shouted and I was wrong. 
and yeah. it was like you know pure hatred. <laughs> I think we exactly. I mean, it's, it, if you deviate from the bingo slightly, you know they, they expect it done in a serious way. Yeah, you know. But on saying that though, I mean, I called the bingo one time and some woman got off her seat and ran, basically chased me along the front part of the stage because because she thought her number because her number had come up. She's giving me one of them big bear hugs, and I'm and I'm mouthing to the audience saying, "Please get her off." <laughs> but again, that just demonstrates how much people get into it. Oh, I you know they they really buy into whatever that particular event is. You know, whether it's the wrestling, whether it's the bingo. You know, they they get so uh, involved in it. And from the tape that you um the the, the show that you'd sent me the video of, yeah. Um, you could see that, even though the quality wasn't 100%, um, you could still see and feel, you know, from the reaction of the audience, you know, that they were into, you know, whatever was happening on stage. Oh, that was, that's, the, that's the thing we talked about briefly before, about the thing about how on a red coat show, anything can happen. Yeah. You know, and that clip I sent you had the classic you being frame moment, you know. Mm. And But the thing is, it, even like some women into the final season, there were so many, there were things that were going wrong. You know, yeah. I mean, when I performed as Dracula in, the, in that final show, and um, I finished up at the medical one day <laughs> because um, one of the, the I think I mentioned, I think I did touch on it in the book, was um, it's one, it's the Dave Allen sketches where, uh-huh. you know, Dracula comes back being absolutely sozzled. And as he's about to get his coffee, his wife jumps out, back shouting, where have you been at this time of night kind of thing. And, yeah. she, and she normally she hit me with a wooden spoon. She usually hit me with a wooden spoon. Uh-huh. She didn't have a wooden spoon that night. She had a ladle, yeah. right? And she caught me on the softest part of my arm. And she caught me so well, the actual thing broke. Oh, and it, uh, uh, this, the ladle broke and it actually spun into the orchestra pit, missing one uh-huh. of the guys by a few inches. <laughs> and it ended up, the, I had this nagging pain in my arm for the yeah. rest of that night. And I had to go, I had to, I had to, go to the, the medic the next day. And uh, I went to the nurse and said, I've hurt my arm. She says, how did you hurt your arm? And she said, and I, I couldn't make it, I couldn't make it up, you know. And I said, well, the wife jumped at the coffin and hit me over the arm with a ladle. And she said, you redcoats have always got a damn excuse. <laughs> and I, was, I, I, was, I wasn't kidding either. <laughs> so that brings me to, um, obviously you have that period at the beginning at air um, with that manager. He goes for whatever yeah. reason. Yeah, somebody you know really well comes in and takes over, and yeah. the opportunities start to happen yeah. uh, again for for Terry. Um, but what I was a wee bit surprised with, well, maybe not even surprised actually when I think about it, was that the guy who was the compare who didn't give you the kind of encouragement from the previous year, you yeah. know, when you were going to do your stand up, um, yeah. and. I thought to myself, do you know what? I actually know people like that as well. Yeah. Who they maybe not want you to do terribly wrong or terribly badly, but they don't really feel that they have, you know, I don't know if it's an ability to, to encourage you. Or in, case maybe in, just... in, in, in case you're better than he is. Exactly, yeah. I mean, I, I'm thinking in terms of when I was in the, the Cayley band, uh, the, the guy who was kind of the the leader of the Kelly band and did all of the singing. I did a lot of the, you know, backing vocals and stuff. He lost his voice. Yeah. Um, and I get pushed forward to to do the main, you know, vocals for the songs and things. And after this particular gig, all these people were coming up, you know, and they were seeing how great I was and all the rest of it. Yeah. And I could see this fella in the to, at the side of my eye, you know, and he was absolutely fuming. 
And yeah. as soon as he was able, I was back, you know, turf to the side. <laughs> so, so, I mean, to be honest, I mean, to be honest, when we did, when I think with the stand up, um, initially, I my, when I looked at the stand up, I was looking no further than the record show, yeah. you know. And then when it came to the idea, I mean, I was wanting to get. I'd been involved in so many shows the, the year before, and the idea and, and the idea of doing a stand up routine for the record show was something I thought was a was a natural progression, especially yeah. as I'd done the Prince Charles the year before. And then when suddenly they're saying you're doing a half hour and this thing, initially I was thinking, you know, what's this all about, you know? Mm. But then I looked at it from another perspective, saying, when you do stand up comedy in a club or a theatre. You've got to go through a period where you basically fall flat in your face. Yeah, you know, and and I then started to look at it as a learning experience. Mm. So when it when it eventually got to the Glasgow Fair, you know, that's when things really started to settle down a bit, you know. Yeah, and I then felt, well, hang on a second, maybe I'm actually learning this. So part of me was saying, you know, is somebody got an ulterior motive, or is the other thing that was saying, um, is this me trying to sort of tough love, the, you know, learning the hard yeah. way? Yeah, so, yeah. And that was and that was the kind of sort of questions that Terry was asking himself during mm. that. Um, during that period in the book. Yeah. And I I don't know, you probably found this as well, um, but audiences, depending on where they're from, can often be quite different. You know, oh, yeah. even if it, you know, even if it's like a Scottish, predominantly Scottish audience, yeah. if they're predominantly, say, from Glasgow, um, yeah. and then the next week they're predominantly, say, from Edinburgh, there are differences oh, to, yeah, to absolutely. how they, you know, how they interact, as it were. Well, I mean, uh, when the Glasgow Fair, I think I did highlight it in the book when the when it was a Glasgow Fair uh, Fair Week Fair Week, yeah. And um, Terry went on stage and he had uh, basically it was a full of Glaswegians, mm-hmm. you know, and, and he's saying, "But who's the Ranger supporters? Who's the Celtic supporters? Yeah. You know, I take it you lot in the middle are atheists, you know, that kind of thing, <laughs> <laughs> you know." And um, it, when you became more experienced, more comfortable in your skin, going on the stage, you can mm-hmm. you, you became aware of the kind of things you're talking about. The fact is. You know, a lot of the gags you would maybe doing for Glasgow audience doesn't work for people from say, like, you know, from the this, the home counties or something. You yeah, know? exactly. Um, so, so you have to be able to adapt, and um, that was another, that's why another thing about Butlins was a good training ground because you learned how to do things like that. Mm-hmm. Eventually, when, when Terry puts the idea about why is he in the bar, it, the moment he started looking at it as a learning experience and you could see progression. Yeah. You know, he he, 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 he previously he was looking for approval all the time, and mm-hmm. it got to the point where. He was just looking to learn because all he wanted to do was focus on himself around focus on what other people thought. And if people yeah. liked it, then that then then that was great. Yeah. And when he had the, the midnight audition, oh um, god, I that that definitely would have been something that would have probably crushed him without having had the previous experience and encouragement from the compare of the year before. Yeah, I, I mean um when I was writing the book, I, mean, I did say, you know, there was a lot of true stuff in there. Yeah. Um, so I started for 10. That late night audition happened. <laughs> I'd finished my shift at the Stuart Ballroom. The next thing I know, I had to go to the Gaty Theatre. And, yeah. suddenly I'm fi- and suddenly I find myself doing an audition at about one o'clock in the morning. Mm. And how I got through it, I've no idea. But uh, it was enough to get me through it. Um, um, but that was one thing I had to put in there, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Because I, I also showed the growth of the Terry character as well, you know, from the beginning in book one yeah. through to this book three, where he's now at a level where, yes, it was a scary situation um, because he didn't really have an audience um, to deal with. Yeah. Um, but you just, as you say in the book, you just have to kind of like blank it out and go for it and do yeah, the he, best that you can. 
Yeah, it's all as you said. It's it's all about it's all about the sort of growth, the growth of the, of the character from the young boy mm. who basically puts his childhood bit behind him. He then becomes an adult, and he's now starting to sort of look around as, from a young adult's eyes, rather yeah. than just the kids sort of stomping their feet every so often. And mm. um, as he was learning all these different things, he was he was forever learning, you know. And it, from doing things, I mean, I highlighted in that second book how he wanted to expand on his existing skills. You know, learn learn yeah. new things, and um, that was that was a theme he was wanting to try and develop. So by the time he got to the camp, mm-hmm. he was a lot more skilled up than what he was from the previous season. Yeah, yeah, and it's certainly the thing I took from all three books um, in terms of never really given a lot of thought to you know red coats or whatever. Um, but having read the books, I can see how it was a great way to learn new things. Oh, yeah. But also improve on maybe skills that you already had, and also to to make you more personable, connect to an audience, connect yeah. to an audience. I mean that, that that's a key thing for me. I mean when they talk about the red coats and stars, the red coats from the early days were stars for one reason: mm-hmm. they knew how to connect with people. Yeah, you get you get someday like Freddie Davis. Freddie Davis is a comic legend. Yeah, right. And the thing is, he knows how how to not just walk on stage or be funny. He knows mm-hmm. how to connect with people. Yeah. Um, and you get a lot of people from those days that really know how to do that. But now the star element, I don't think is as strong as what it used to be because mm-hmm. it was always like a fast track kind of thing. Yeah. You, know, you get all this thing about somebody being an overnight success, having been in the business for about 30 years, mm-hmm. you know, and that's them learning. Because it's when you're performing, you've got to connect with folk. That's you it. Know? And, and the thing is, is them. Um, that was one of the key elements about buttons. You had to know how to connect yourself with people. Mm-hmm. And then um, when we got to like with the Red Coat show, by the end of that week, you know, people knew you before you even walked onto that stage. Yeah. You know, and and that's and that sort of helps you when you're doing any doing any sort of acts and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I, I take it it was relatively speaking a short turnaround time in terms of you know putting the show together. Because obviously right. you've got other duties, you know, that you need to do. Yeah, well, from what I remember was we would usually get a note on the notice. We would say start the first day of the season was a Saturday, mm-hmm. right? There were a note on the maybe the notice board on the Monday saying there would be a, the first rehearsal of the Red Coat show be the either maybe later on that night or the following day. And in the final season, the Red Coat show would be moved to the Thursday as opposed to the Friday. Yeah. And so, and when you went to the rehearsal, the compere would bring a lot of his routines over from another camp. So the mm. thing is, he might have discussed with the manager um, what routines you can put in place. So it might be a case of filling in with maybe a couple of sore, sore spots from people, mm-hmm. um, likes of, um, you know, maybe some, you know, you say, right, you've got, they probably have about half the show already done in yeah. terms of the sketches. And because it's established, once it'd be quick to learn, a lot of the people who were cabaret artists would have known what they say, right, you're going to do a five minute spot there. So they mm-hmm. know straight away what they're going to do. Um, and so likes of, you're maybe if you say that if you're talking they're going at night time after after you finish your duty at one o'clock, it's half twelve, one o'clock, mm-hmm. you would get back to your chalet about half three in the morning. Yeah. And and then um, you then still had to be ready for half for a half eight breakfast. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying, you know. So it you had so many other things to do. In some ways yeah. it's amazing, you know, that a red coat show could be put on that would be, you know, completely engaging and entertaining for an audience because yeah. of all the other things that everybody involved would have to do. And the analogy I got for it was um, back in the olden days, <laughs> a uh-huh. repertory company, yeah. they would do a different play every week. 
Yeah. You know, so that kept everything fresh. It doesn't really work that way anymore, but that's how it used to be. You know, yeah. so you had a resident repertory company and one week they would do, um, you know, Murder at the Gallop, for instance. Yeah, I... Then the next week it would be, you know, another play by someone else. Then it might be a kind of mini version of a Shakespeare. But it was a, con- you know, and the, the amount of time and short turnarounds for that sort of acting work, that's what I thought about when I was reading about, you know, the Redcoat show and having to squeeze in rehearsals and all that kind of thing. Well, I mean, the likes of what you're talking about, the short turnaround, that was what we did back then stayed with us right to the mm. present day because likes of, we did charity, a group of us did charity shows in Dunoon for the likes of the yeah. community groups and uh, residential homes and all that. Yeah. And to be honest, I, I love doing those shows. And I, mm. I would love to go back to them, doing them one of these days. And what happened was there were people coming from, say, London or maybe, say, uh, some, some say like Nor- Norwich area or just, say, right from yeah. England, flying up from England. There'd be people coming, like we were an hour and a half drives away from Dunoon. We all congregated there. And it was maybe, say, on the, we'd go there on the night. We then did a rehearsal that night mm. and we'd end up doing a, a show the following day. Yeah. Because, and, and, the turn the turnarounds, as you said, was was mega shot, but we were used to that. Yeah. Because we because we'd done it. So we could turn up at the house, we'd have a basic show put together and we could rehearse, we'd do it the next day. I mean, for example, I was a co-organizer of uh Butlins Reunion uh, at Scabra in 2014. And one thing we had to we were trying to do was do an uh, an old-time record show. Yeah. And so we had an hour to put the show together. And so, like I said, we just said, right, turn up we've got a basic idea what the show's going to be. This is the running order. And then we just say, right, we want X, Y, and Z. And the whole show was done within an hour. And that mm. show is, is on YouTube as well. Right. And how many Butlins places are still around or are there any still around? Three. 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 Um, uh, you're talking, um, talk, um, Bogdar, Minehead, and Skegness. Right. Skegness right. was the first one. That was the one that started. I was, a, I was the, the first camp in 36. Uh-huh. Um, a lot of the other ones have been, it's just, it's like Craig Tara become caravan parks. Yeah. Um, uh, the likes of, well, and some of the other ones have completely disappeared altogether. Mm-hmm. Um, likes of um, in Barry Island, they, that's completely gone. It's, I think it's like houses have been built on there, but they have erected a plaque right. in the wall. Of, it was a big wall at the beach at Barry Island. Uh-huh. And they actually had a, they actually had a ceremony um, unveiling the plaque. You know, to remind folk that the camp yeah. was there, and I think mm-hmm. they did something very similar at Clacton. Um, right. So, I mean, there's still people that want, would love it to come back, but mm-hmm. whether it will or not, I don't know. I, well, that that's really going to be the next question I was going to ask you: Is did you think that if somebody was to do that again and use this, you know, that kind of formula, would it work today, or would they have to do something slightly different? I think it would have to be different. I mean, you can still do some that's different, but still retain the flavour of the old uh-huh. style. Um, mm-hmm. Because I mean, she likes of um, you're talking about say like the sport of football. You know, yeah. people. You, you know, it's maybe say a style of play that one team have always played. But the thing is, the fact to adapt as they get through it, the modern era. Yeah. Um, attitudes to holidaymakers have changed. I mean, there are certain mm-hmm. things that um, we did back then. As I said, you can't do anymore. Yeah. For example, something simple like we used to do birthday parades mm-hmm. in the dining hall. Where we used to lead a bit, a, a, somebody used to carry a cake yeah. and lead it through the thousand strong dining hall and get the punter to stand on the chair, and mm-hmm. the whole thousand people would sing happy birthday. Yeah, you, you can't do that anymore. Yeah, yeah, because that health and safety. Yeah, and also, as you see as well, you know, there are, there are 
things that you know, like the fat chubby and all that. Yeah, you know, you charming chubby, yeah. Yeah, you couldn't do that, you know, yeah. uh, because of the political correctness aspect. Yeah. Um, and it just when I was reading the specifically when I was reading book three, I was kind of thinking to myself, how could you sort of get a Butlins type organisation going, um, still kind of retain the flavour, yeah, but you know, have to cut out some of the things that would have been like traditions, if you like. Well, I think the one thing that, that does happen, maybe not so much the camps, but mm-hmm. the thing is you do get special at high to high events. Yeah. You know, there's a, there's a guy that runs um, a, 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 sort of a high to high event in Blackpool, mm-hmm. um, where he dresses up as a yellow coat, right? right? Um, we did, when we do the reu- did the reunions, we would actually stage our version of those contests. You know, mm. the, the, the Noblenese, the cheerful yeah. chairman, Chubby, we used to be did all that. Um, so the thing is, there is an, there's still an audience out there mm. for people that like that kind of stuff. But at the moment, we're just doing it in terms of the reunions. You yeah. Know, because, because people that turn up the reunions or even like so that show that I mentioned, mm. people go there, they know what they're going to expect, what they're expecting. Yeah. yeah. Know, it's not a case of saying, oh, you can't do that today. But the mm. thing is, people, go, they say right from the very beginning, we're turning back the clock. You know, yeah. so they know it. So they know exactly what it is. You know. Yeah, it, it reminds me of uh, a story. Um, Bernard Manning, who yep. was well known for you know being on PC. You know. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, and there was a woman uh, who sued him in Manchester. Yeah. Um, because she was offended at the racist element of his jokes. Yeah. Um, and it went to court, and I'll never forget this as long as I live. So they hear all the evidence, and then the the judge says to this woman, "Did you know what was going to be going on in the mm. show before yeah. you went?" Yeah. And she said, "Yes." Hmm. And he said, "Case is dismissed then because if you knew what was going to happen, why yeah. did you go?" Aye, exactly. You know, exactly. and it's it's like that old thing about something on TV that I don't like. Well switch to another channel or switch the tv off you know exactly exactly i mean i don't know if you know that um see if when people would on the stage at buttons there was a sign at the side of the stage saying we don't want any 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 blue jokes we don't want such and such a jokes we, uh-huh. we will not have such and such a jokes at any price so it was actually the side of the stage before ending yeah. on um they like to push the boundaries but i mean when people mm-hmm. go to um, midnight cabaret that was a, that was a different kettle of fish I yeah mean, one of the star attractions at the Midnight Cabaret one year at air was Hector Nickel. Right. Who was not exactly what you call your Mr. Clean, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he was, he was one of the funniest guys on the planet, you know. He was. I thought he, was he, he was an absolute gentleman. And the thing was, his style of act, you, you wouldn't see him do it on a Sunday star time in the theatre. But the yeah. thing was, he, because it was Midnight Cabaret, it's for an adult audience, you mm-hmm. know. Um, Bob Monkhouse's act was always adult. You know, it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't dirty or anything, but it was always adult. Mm-hmm. It was strong material, you know. Yeah. And Hector Nickel, that was the same. And um, but certainly there was um, rules and regulations in terms of what you could do because you had first of all you're catering for the family, yeah. and the thing there was adult there was times where it was like adults only, and they do stay it was for adults only. Yeah. So uh, so the thing is they they kind of sort of um, I mean granted there was people that um, the complaints element did creep in a bit in 1984 uh-huh. because they didn't like the idea of being volunteered yeah. for things. Yeah. You know, uh, and, and and the things we were actually told at one point in that last season, don't drag people up. Because mm-hmm. it, it used to be, what I mentioned about how we carried the guy in the chair. Yeah. For the yeah. Nobleese contest, you weren't allowed to do things like that. 
uh, and yeah. that, during that final season. And it was that was then you because I said we were moving away from the high to high era, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, and, and and this was the start of it because people were not wanting to be coerced into doing things, yeah. And uh, even though they knew what the style of holiday was, you know, so mm-hmm. the thing is like why they were objecting, I don't know, but yeah. um, but we could see it was sort of moving in that direction, yeah. And in a lot of ways, it's probably quite a sad thing, you know, that it went like that. Yeah. Um, because, you know, from my pers- perspective, I would, I'd probably be quite happy if somebody was to come up and I'd probably, do you know what, I'd play along that I yeah, wasn't I wanting to do it, you know, and they'd be cajoling me. And the more they're cajoling me, the more I'd be kind of like resistant. But yeah, all I- the time, I'm actually going to do it, you know, because yeah. I'm thinking, other people are going to see this and they're going to get a laugh at this. Exactly. I, exactly. I'm sorry, some people did take things a bit too seriously. Yeah. Um, well, I, in the, on the whole, I didn't really have any real problems with that. Mm. Um, I mean, we did. We were aware of it. Um, rules creeping in saying, you know, don't drag people up, you know. So, yeah. um, but it was one of the things we just went along with it. But, but then again, you, you said it yourself in one of the previous talks was we knew how far we could push things. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, and some people like to sort of push things a wee bit further than others, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, listen, but that's to me, that's the whole thing about entertainment, you yeah. know, is that you, you, you've got to try and get people out of their comfort zone, Aye. you know. Um, and the best sort of comedians are really good at doing that, Aye. you know, just like they're really good at handling somebody who's going to heckle them. The, the, I, mean, I mean, that, I mean, I mean, that was that, that kind of that kind of thing. That I kind of touched on that, and towards the end of the book, when yeah. um, he actually got finally gets to do his stand up act at the mm-hmm. Red Coat show, and it was, um, see, when you get the final week of the season, that's basically everything, anything goes, yeah, because they can play any tricks on you, whatever they want. And the idea of the compare and walking on and all this kind of stuff, where he's saying, right, I'm finally there for, yeah. for, my, for doing my act, and suddenly he finds the compares walking and interrupting. He's had enough practice to to be ready for things like that. Yeah, you know exactly. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's it's all about adapting. I mean, I mean, I think when in eighty four season, Terry was very self conscious about what he did, and he was getting embarrassed and stuff. But he became mm-hmm. more streetwise and sort of said, "Well, he, he always used to sort of ride out the storm or go with the flow." And yeah. to a certain extent, that's what that's what that's what I was like. I mean, when it came to embarrassing things, I had a lot more embarrassing things happening when I was in the dance team. Yeah, I mean, I'm talking, I'm ta- I'm talking about real corkers. Yeah. Um, and 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 so I mean so if anything happened when I was in air, I was able to laugh things off. Mm, yeah. Uh, oh, excuse me. Um. So I must admit, when I was coming up to the the last couple of pages of yeah. book three, um, I was a wee bit sad. Yeah. You know, um, because by that time I've invested myself in the books yeah. and in the yeah. characters within the books and their stories. And then I was just thinking to myself, you know, this is it. Yeah. You know, the, the, they're moving away and, you you know, they, they get the job offers and stuff like that. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, I wish they would come back. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You know what I mean? It was as if I was actually there. You know, yeah. at the time, and you know Terry and that would come on stage and say, "Well, we're not coming back next year." You know, and I've seen you for three years. Yeah, and you know, admittedly, only during that period you're, you're part of the family. You know. Yeah. Um, and it was it was that kind of sadness, you know. But I mean, I think I think this is why one of the reunions thing makes things a bit more special. Yeah. Yeah, because the thing is, like, so we know we're not official buttons redcoats. 
I would yeah. say we're we're more like a genetically modified tribute band, you know, uh. <laughs> <laughs> because like see the uniform that I've got, the yeah. uniform that I've got was basically custom made, right? Right. Um, so we during the course of that weekend we went back to our old duties, you know, doing doing like things like standing at the door, smiling at folk, yeah. and saying hello, and getting involved in the shows, and even dressing the stage. Mm-hmm. You know, which was some. I mean, we we're, we're talking about the reunion coming up in Torquay later later this month, um, and we were asked for volunteers to dress the stage and even perform in the au revoir the way we, uh-huh. the way that it used to be done. Granted, we never done it that way. We we yeah. used more of a fee for all, but mm-hmm. it was going basically during that weekend. We're going to go over the old red coat style duties. We've put the, we put the gear on, and we go out and about meeting folk, and um, so we basically get to sort of live it again. You yeah, know, live the whole experience. And then whenever we do any shows. Um, whether it's the virtual stuff or if it's going mm-hmm. to be doing actual residential shows, we turn up, we put the gear, we put the gear on, and it just brings it makes people smile. Yeah, you know, it still makes people smile because it, it brings back so much happy memories of of, of that time. You know, when they were at holiday. Mm-hmm. You know, the fact that we do the performing, you know, whether we get it right or we don't, that's just yeah. by a by. You know, but the fact is, we did a, a, a show at one of the residential homes where. We did the first half, or three quarters of an hour doing the singing and stuff like that. Then when they had their tea, we had like a half an hour sitting with them, drinking the tea, and they were basically asking question and answers, interacting yeah. with them. Mm-hmm. And they went back and did the final, the final bit. It was one of the most enjoyable sessions ever. And yeah. um, we we can we can still do things like that, you mm-hmm. know. Um, going, you know, if somebody says to us, you know, I mean, my wife was talking to the idea, but see the gala days, yeah. Um, even the idea of saying put the gear on and let's work, let's work with the gala people and see if we can mm-hmm. help raise money that way. You don't discount anything, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I, I'm still I'm quite happy to put the gear on if it's mm-hmm. for a good cause, for a good reason. Yeah. Because meaning working at Butler's meant so much to a lot of folk uh, from a staff point of view, but also from people that went on holiday. And the yeah. more, and if I walked through the street wearing my reds on today, they wouldn't take the rip at me. Yeah. Smile because they remember all the good times. Yeah. Exactly. So. Well, again, we're running out of time. We could go on forever and ever, I think, <laughs> you know, chatting away here. Um, but we have limited by time, unfortunately. So going forward for yeah. Frank McGorty. Yes. Frankie boy. Frankie boy, yes. Well, <laughs> is, is there anything uh, in the pipeline, maybe a different sort of book that you're thinking of doing? Or Right, well, what I've been looking at is I'm looking at a series of short stories. That's mm-hmm. one. Also, throughout my journalistic career, I've also um, covered American football quite it's quite oh, um, right. quite in detail. I was like the main. I was a main. I covered the likes of the amateur and the professional game mm-hmm. um, as part of my journalism, and uh, so I'm looking at a book on that. But um, the thing is, and also with the radio, I want to try and step that up as well. But the thing is, now I'm. I mentioned at the start, but I'm just a reevaluation of myself. Yeah. Um, and what's and the reason for that is. Last month, I was diagnosed as being dyslexic. I you mentioned that, you know, you and um, and the thing was that was that was like I got I told that I got told that last month, and yeah. and, and and the thing is, it kind of explained why the last book took me a wee bit longer, yeah. or one of the reasons anyway. Mm-hmm. And so, in terms of, I've got to basically do a total reorganize myself. But I mean, I've got that's my two books ideas planned. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm going to be doing. I've got the I want to do some more performing with the guys, the the Button Squad. Um, whether it's virtual or whether it's doing actual, you know, residential homes, I, I would like to do that yeah. again sometime. Even the idea of um, turning up at one of the residential homes performing, uh, you know, in, in, in the gear, yeah, because you know, we, we, we could we could do that. 
But I mean, obviously we'd have to get a lot of notice, but certainly mm-hmm. in terms of moving forward, I'm certainly not giving up on the writing um, yeah. b- because it was such a thrill. Mm-hmm. You know, the fact that the response I've been getting and see the likes of the response when we've been getting through these podcasts. Yeah. You know, to say that I'm chuffed <laughs> is a mega, mega <laughs> understatement. You know, uh, people are, uh, people are, you know, they're down, I've seen the amount of downloads that's been coming down. Yeah. Uh, and I thought, what? what? <laughs> you yeah. know? And I say, it's a whole new aspect for me as well because everything I've done radio wise has always been music shows. I mean, certainly, certainly, the likes of um, the podcast, the thing with the podcast is, um, it is, it is thrilling. I mean, I've, I've always said that anything I've done, whatever I do, I try and be the best I can be. Yeah. And, um, and the thing is, I always try and invest myself into trying to give, give myself the best chance. And if people mm. do, uh, listen to my, my shows or read the books and they enjoy what I do, it's absolutely fantastic. I absolutely yeah. thank them to thank them to put my heart for that. Yeah. And if these likes with the Butlins books, hopefully this take the people that do read it, it's a trip down memory lane. Yeah. For what the way it used to be, but also it's a story. It's a real. It's, it's based on a real story. Yeah. Not just. It's just. It wasn't just me. But the thing mm-hmm. is, a lot of romances were made at Butlins. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And and so it kind of sort of um, this sort of t- t- goes into the memory banks there because I remember what I was like when I read the first one. Mm-hmm. When I when I wrote the first one, I was filling up <laughs> because because I was I, I was like eighteen again when yeah. I was writing it, and um, and because it meant it became a labor of love. You know, mm-hmm. and the reviews I've been getting on on Alexa Amazon and stuff like that has been absolutely fantastic. I mean, Great. the one thing the one thing it did sort of throw me a wee bit this morning was um, you know how you talked about the idea about getting recommendations from yeah. Amazon. Mm-hmm. Um, I got one this morning recommending a book for me. Yeah, right. it, was, it was it was mine. <laughs> <laughs> that is a good place to punish, I think. <laughs> so, listen once again, Frank. Thank you very much for taking the time uh, to yeah. chat along with me uh, about book three. More power to your elbow, and hopefully, we'll get the chance to meet in the real world. I shall turn up at the studio one of these days. I look forward <laughs> to it, mate. It's good to talk to you once again. You too. Thanks a lot, Frank. Mm-hmm. Bye. Bye now. And then I thought I'd bring you